You are listening to Haftarah, the Shir series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftarah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha's Parsha's Tavarim, which makes this Shabbos, Shabbos Chazon, as Shabbos Chazon always coincides with Parsha's Tavarim. And as we mentioned in the previous couple of Haftarah Shiorim, that the mission statement here at Haftarah has changed as we entered the series of the Tzalasa de Paranusa, the three Haftarahs of misfortune, of tragedy, and that mission statement will remain in place as we enter a, a new series after Tisha B'Av, the Shiva Denechamasa, but this series requires us now to focus not necessarily on any connections between the Haftarah and the Parsha Shavua, although there may be some, but the primary focus is on the Tukufa, the season that we are in, the Zman of Ben HaMetzarim, between Shiva Sivatamas and Tisha B'Av, and in the next upcoming series between Tisha B'Av and the Yamim Noraim. And for our purposes now, we are looking now at the third of the Tlas de Paranusa, the third and final of the Haftaras in this pre-Tisha B'Av series. It is also my intention, Bezras Shem, if not this week, then early next week, to do a Haftarah Shir for the Haftarah, not only for Parshas Veschan and Shabbos Nachman, which is coming up, but for the Haftarah of Tisha B'Av Morning, um, which we will see has an interesting connection to the Haftarah that we're going to discuss now for Shabbos Chazon. Um, not necessarily in the theme, though the themes are certainly shared as they all revolve around the Churban, but it's actually something that they share in common in terms of the way they are read. A very unique way to read the Haftarah, which um, does not... Uh, appear in any other Kriya of the Haftarah, as we'll see very soon. But the Haftarah that we are looking at now is, again, although the third of the series of the Tlesta Paranusa, it is actually taking somewhat of a different direction, different perspective, as we are shifting gears, we are shifting Svarim, going from Sefer Yirmiya, where we saw the first two of the Tlesta Paranusa, to the opening of Sefer Yishayahu. So this is Sefer Yeshaya, Parak Aleph, Sukim Aleph through Chav Zayin, that's 1 through 27, beginning from the very opening Pasuk, the very opening chapter, the opening Parak of Yeshayahu, as we dedicate this Shir, Nishma Simim Rasi, Chai Rochel, Bastavit Tzvi, Harini Kaparas Nishkava, Her Nisham should have an Aliyah. And as we turn our attention away from Yermia to the opening of Sefer Yeshayahu, we begin to read the passage known as Chazon Yishayahu, literally the vision of Yishayahu. Of course, the Shabbos before Tisha B'av, as we mentioned earlier, is named Shabbos Chazon, and it is named, obviously, after the Saftara. And so we would assume that the purpose of Chazon Yishayahu is to serve as some sort of preparation for that tragic day. And in fact, it would seem that it is for this reason that many actually have the custom of reading a majority of this Haftara to the somber tune of Megillus Eicha, the book composed by Yirmiyahu, which of course mourns the Churban Beis Hamikdash, and we again change the tune for the Haftarah from the typical traditional tune of Haftarah to that sad tune of Eicha, and this of course is what we find in the Haftarah for Tisha B'av morning as well. So as opposed to the typical tune of for a majority of the Haftarah, we read it to the tune of Eicha. 
And this uh, feature of reading the Haftarah to a Tishabav tune, the tune of Eicha, is actually also featured in another custom, another minhag that many people have, and that is to read from Parshas Devarim, the Pasuk that contains the word Eicha, so to read that Pasuk as well, not to the traditional Kriyasatarah trup, but to read it to the tune of Eicha. So we see in more ways than one, melodically, we are getting into the feel, we are preparing, we are winking to Tishabav as we are engaging in our hachanos, seeing what it is that the Haftarah and all the other aspects of this Shabbos, Shabbos Chazon, how they um, are to prepare us for Tishbav. So, after hearing the two passages of warning from Yirmiyahu, we have to ask ourselves, what is the final message that we need to hear before the exile unfolds from the perspective of a different Navi from Yishayahu? And to answer that question, I think we have to first figure out what exactly the chazon or the vision was that Yishayahu had witnessed. Now, astonishingly, if one begins to read the text of our Haftarah, the vision, the chazon, is in fact not so clear at all. The Navi opens with the first pasuk, chazon Yishayahu venamot, asher chaza al Yehuda al Yerushalayim. This is the vision of Yishayahu, the son of Amotz, that he envisioned that he saw about Yehuda and about Yerushalayim. However, the Navi hardly follows this introduction with any solid imagery or visual content. That's obviously strange because when we're told that we're about to hear about a chazon or a vision, we would expect to receive a detailed description of what it was that Yeshua was seeing with his own eyes. Was he seeing a city engulfed in flames, as perhaps we might have imagined. Perhaps he was looking at an army storming the gates of Yerushalayim. What is the vision of Yeshayahu about which we're being warned? So as it happens, several psukim in, Pasuk Zayin, Yeshayahu does briefly mention the image of a desolate land and the burnt city. But that's quite a generic portrayal of destruction. Right? We, could, we, we could have come up with that ourselves. Tragic, yes, certainly, but hardly a descriptive vision. And again, it's not even until several verses in that we're even provided with this most basic of imagery. And until that point, all we really have is Yishayahu just criticizing the Bnei Israel for their sinful ways. But again, very little imagery. Now, the fact that this prophecy starts off with this chazon tells us that perhaps, in fact, the most important and telling image of Yeshayahu is a vision that was apparently visible way before that of the destruction. In other words, perhaps the Novi is suggesting that the vision of Yeshayahu is not so much about what the city would look like after it would be destroyed. But more frighteningly, what the city looked like just before that. But what could be more terrifying than the vision of the destruction itself? 
And here's where the Navi precedes its diatribe of the Bnei Israel, saying that very second Pasuk, the children whom I've raised and exalted, but yet they've rebelled against me. From there, the Navi makes the infamous and disturbing observation that although an ox recognizes its own master and a donkey its master's own trough, somehow Klai Israel does not recognize Hashem. Somehow we as a people have failed to recognize Hashem as our master. And although the Bnei Israel used to be known as a Goy Kodosh and an Am Segula, a holy people and a treasure nation as we are referred to in Shemos Parakiyotas, the Navi also tells us that instead we've become downgraded severely to a Goy Chote and an Am Kevet Avon, a sinful people and the nation weighed down by iniquity, as it is described in Pasuk Dalat here. And then the Navi goes on to not only compare Klal Yisrael to Sodom and Amorah, but to even address them, referring to us by name as Sodom and Amorah. And this, I believe, is not just in reference to the destruction, the upheaval of Sodom and Amorah, but the precursor, the catalyst to that upheaval. It is a comparison to our conduct, that which we shared in our behavior with Sodom and Amorah. Indeed, because that more, more, more than anything else, is the most frightening of visions. It is a mirror. Ishayo holds up a mirror that reflects to the people of Klal itself what they have become. And ironically, it's not necessarily something that one needs to be a prophet to see. It's certainly observable to the naked eye. And it precedes the destruction and exile by a fair amount. No, it doesn't take a Navi to see it, but it takes a Navi to call it out, because indeed someone has to call it out for what it is. Because although it's very obvious and in plain sight, we do not want to look at it. We do not want to see it. We don't, we don't want to look in the mirror and witness our own failures. That is the vision that the prophet has to tell us about. In that light, Ishayo brings our attention to this very disturbing sight. It is a vision, not of destruction, but of a failing nation which caused the destruction. And this reminds me of that which we've referenced in earlier Shiram and other series on our podcast, but the idea of the Kina, Kina Yudzain of Imtochan and Imperium, the reference to the Pasuk and Eicha, which describes how women would consume their own children, but of course this kina was written really following, or at least in response to the cold-blooded murder that Kleistral facilitated um, of, of Zechariah HaKohen, Zechariah the Navi. And the kina finishes by saying, look at all the tragedies that we do respond to, the tragedies which we feel we are being mistreated to. And yet, what about the tragedies that we've caused to unfold ourselves? Do we make those tragedies known? The tragedy of, of, of the, the slaughter, the stoning of a Navi Hashem. And, uh, is, is that something that we care about? We are willing to look at the destruction and say, oh, how terrible. But what about to look in the mirror at those that have caused the destruction? And that's what the Navi, once again, is pointing us to. As the Haftarah continues, the Navi slams the people for 
raising their blood-filled hands to Hashem in prayer and challenges them, asking why they think Hashem even wants their sacrifices, their karbonos. Reasonably so, the Navi argues that the people ought to worry less about their rituals and more about improving their ways. Perhaps the greatest testament to this misplaced priority is the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash itself, the Temple, a message that our worship has been rejected. But perhaps the most telling line and imagery of this Haftarah and vision appears towards the end, where Yeshayahu laments in Pasuk Chaf Aleph, as follows. Echa haisalazona kirya neemana milea simishpat tzedek yalinba v'etameratzchim Echa, how is it that she has become a zona, a harlot, a prostitute? That which was once a faithful city, full of mishpat tzedek Justice, righteousness, and yet we are yelling, we lodge. Whereas where righteousness used to lodge there, but now we've become murderers. Prostitutes and murderers. That is what the Navi now refers to us. And that word, Eicha, which of course echoes with a haunting resonance, obviously resembling the opening word of Yirmiya's Book of Lamentations of Eicha, where we say, Eicha yashva badad, ha'yir abosiyam, ha'yisak How could it be that she, Yerushalayim, sits alone, the great city with people? She was like a widow. That word alone makes this Haftarah a fitting one. And the parallel between Yirmiya's Eicha and Yishayo's Eicha is so striking that the Midrash Eicha draws connections between this verse and that of Eicha. You can look in Eicha Rabasi, Aleph Aleph. However, if we look at the two verses, that's not the only parallel here, besides for the word Eicha. Right? And perhaps the better known verse from Megillus Eicha, Yerushalayim is compared to an Almana, a widow. But in our Haftar, Yishayo compares the city to a Zona, a harlot, a prostitute. What is truly fascinating about these two images, a widow on the one hand, a harlot on the other, is that both of them are women who are ultimately alone in the world without love. Anyone could see how this is true for an almana who has lost her husband. But for the zona, it's not as obvious to the ignorant observer. And that is because the zona gives off the impression of being with others, of having companionship, she appears to love and be loved by others. But, but to anyone who knows better, she is obviously not loved by anyone. She is, in fact, alone. But aside from the appearance, there is another major difference between the Zona and the Almana. That is because although both of them are effectively alone, the Almana is not alone by choice, but by the tragic results beyond her immediate control. The Almana is in a state of Chorban, her husband died, and Hashem declared that that should happen. Hashem has subjected the Almana to her state of destruction, her state of lonesomeness, the Eicha about which we lament. The Zona, however, on the other hand, is responsible for her own lonesomeness. She may not have intended to end up alone. She may have sought companionship, but her immoral path in life has led her away from true love. It is the Chorban that she brought upon herself. And of course, this, this Zona and this Almana 
are the same person. They are Yerushalayim. They are us, our conduct, when we lived in Yerushalayim. Perhaps they are our conduct today. We cry and lament, Eicha Hashem, how can you do this? How can you cause Nashim to be Tochel Piriam, women to have to consume their own children? How, Hashem, can you do this? How can the Chorban happen? And yet, our Haftarah flips it around on us. Right? And with this contrast, we could truly understand the message of Chazon Yishayo and its relationship to Megillus Eicha and to Tishabav. That is because on Tishabav we mourn as the Almana, someone who has tragically lost her loved one. There was a Chorban, utter destruction. The images described in Megillus Eicha are frightening and heartbreaking. Ultimately, Hashem allowed it to happen, and we are supposed to be sad over what Hashem has taken from us. But, before we mourn our situation and wallow in wonderment over that which we have lost, before we view ourselves as an afflicted Almana, the Aftar reminds us of what we were before we became the Almana, and that is that we were a Zona. Before Hashem took everything away from us, we not only exchanged him, but like a harlot, we sold ourselves away. Yes, Hashem permitted a destruction which, beyond a certain point, we could not control. But whatever happened to personal accountability? What about the choices which we have made? We're not merely alone because Hashem left us alone like a widow, but because, like a harlot, we've made decisions in our lives, terrible, terrible decisions, which have caused us to be alone. In this slide, while Megillus Echa asks, how could it be that we've ended up like a lonely widow? Chazon Yishayo essentially asks, how could you? How could you, us, we, have made ourselves into a harlot, into a prostitute? All of the above drives home the deeply frightening image of this vision, as we've been explaining it, that Chazon Yishayo is not merely a vision about the destruction that befell or will befall Klai in the wake of its exile, it's a disturbing vision about the moral destruction of the people, of us, the exile which we have brought upon ourselves. It is a vision of what led to destruction. It is a vision which reflects that which we are accountable for, our own moral failings, our own self-destruction, our own self-imposed lonesomeness. It's a sad time for Amisrael. But as the Navi continues to assure us, it does not have to be. Right? Although at times it seems as though we are a helpless widow, we are the ones in control of our own fate. That is why the Medrash also points out that the true counter-argument to Eicha, spelled the same way, is Ayeka, as Hashem addressed Adam Harishon before Adam was driven out of Gan Eden. Ayaka, where are you? Where have you gone? Right, that's that's the real question. Because we make our own choices too. And Chasvashalam, when the tragic time should come, and please Hashem, it should not happen. But it's certainly, yes, appropriate to be upset and wonder, as Yermia does, how it could be that we've ended up in such a mess. But if we truly want to be redeemed from our gullus, we need to consider our personal accountability. We need to think about the Eicha of Chazon Yishayohu, the Ayeka of Bereshus, which rightfully asks, where are you? How could you? If we're able to preempt this Shabbos Chazon and take that personal accountability to ask ourselves, 
the question of Echa, how we have forgotten who we are, how we could have become what we have become, how we could have how we could change ourselves, maybe for the better, then with Hashem's help, we'll never have to ask the question of Echa again. We shall be Zoha to take personal responsibility for our actions, faithfully devote ourselves to Hashem, and Hashem should return all of us to His promised land of our Israel to rebuild the base of Migdash and send us the ultimate Ula. Have an absolutely wonderful and meaningful Shabbos Chazon. And of course, as always, if you enjoyed this year and others like it on the podcast, you want to partner up with us with a sponsorship. If you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group, where you'll find links every uploaded share and share them that I repost due to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data than base, B E I S at gmail.com. And until next time, we should again make the best of our Bein HaMitzarim. And now the, the nine days that we are in, and of course this Shabbos Chazon, and hopefully the Tisha B'Av that we are, uh, that we have been experiencing up until now. Um, last year's should be the last of its kind, and we should only experience Agarula. Thank you for joining us here at the Database.